My name is Andrew Tate, and this is Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast, season one, episode one. After a bit of self-discovery and a much-needed break, Let's Not Meet is finally back due to popular demand. The return of Let's Not Meet will now be presented in seasons, and I'm sure there are plenty of questions and confusion, but stay tuned after the stories for the whole scoop. But listen now to a collection of true horror stories written by the lucky ones that made it this far. This past Monday, my coworkers and I returned to our hotel room from a day of working out in the field. Rebecca and I walked to our rooms, and as we stood outside of them, I opened mine, and I saw someone in the bathroom. I said, hello. Nobody answered. My first instinct was that it was the cleaning lady in there for some reason. And then I saw my bag with my clothes in her hands. I said to my coworker, there's a woman in my room. Then I asked the woman, what are you doing with my stuff? It gets a little fuzzy here because I can't remember everything I said or what she said, but she kept mumbling about how her key still worked and that's how she got in. I was in shock and she was obviously very flustered having been caught mid-robbery. She dropped my bags and fumbled around with her purse and a white plastic bag. By this time, my coworker was behind me watching all of this insanity unfold. This woman was scrambling and walking towards the door, and I said, What's in the bag? Thinking it could probably be my stuff. And she said, No, no. It's just my things. It's just my things. I'll show you. And so she did. I looked, and I didn't see anything of mine. And so since I'm obviously in shock at this time, I let her leave. I went into my room, and it's been ransacked. I did a quick look around to see if anything had been taken. All of my electronics were still here. Then I went into the bathroom, and I saw my underwear, my bikini, and my clothes shoved into my own bags randomly. Even my passport was shoved in there. Then I looked on the counter, and I saw that she got into my medication. I'm not sure what was going through my head at the moment other than I wanted it back. So I ran out the door to go find her. I ran to the laundry room downstairs and out to the sides of the hotel, but I didn't see her. I realized I was never going to find her. So my coworker and I went down to the lobby to tell them what had happened, and then we called the police. We went back up to my room to wait, and I noticed that there was a metal bat on my bed, a little larger than one of those novelty wooden bats you can get at a baseball game, but there's also a flashlight on the end. She must have left it behind in a hurry, she also left behind a necklace that must have fallen out of her bag when she was scrambling with mine. 
I was mostly freaking out at this point because I thought that she had gone away with my medication that I needed. The police got there and took our statements and looked around the room as well. One thing that I noticed was that there were bits of drywall in the sink, and I pointed that out to the cops, but none of us really knew where it came from. We started looking at the door and the other windows to see if she pried her way in somehow, but there was nothing. So we kind of just went with the idea that she had a spare key or something. Even though the hotel front desk was adamant that there was no way that could be. The officer that came brought two more officers as backup because they thought that the woman might still be in the vicinity. But after our statements were taken, there was nothing else that they could do, really. So they left. I sat down, finally, to make some calls to tell people. And as I'm on the phone, I'm thinking about the drywall in the sink. And it still doesn't make sense to me. So I'm on the phone, and looking at the drywall and the mirror on the wall right above it. Then it hit me. I got my coworker and asked her to help me pull at this mirror on the wall. And we took the mirror down. There was a hole, just big enough for a desperate junkie to squeeze through. I asked Brian and Rebecca if I should call the cops again to let them know that I found this, and my boss said, there's still two cop cars in the parking lot. So I went down to tell them, and the female cop kind of rolled her eyes, but the young lady said, I'll come check it out. They both came back up, looked in the hole, and found a pillow, blankets, cigarettes, clothes, and toothbrushes. This woman had been living in the wall behind my mirror for God knows how long. She had access to me in my room at all times. I know it might be hard to picture, but there was a crawl space about two feet wide in between the two rows of rooms. One of the officers called the original officer to come back and take pictures of it. She explained to him what was going on, and all I hear over the radio is, No fucking way! He comes back, takes pictures, and is just as mind-blown as the rest of us. Obviously, we packed up and left immediately. What's even crazier is that she has probably been there a long time. The last time we stayed at this hotel, I would randomly smell cigarette smoke, and I assumed someone was smoking in their bathroom and it was traveling through the vents. But no, a junkie was smoking just on the other side of my mirror. She had access to the other rooms. The holes in the walls were from a renovation, and the hotel hadn't properly patched them. It was just covered up with mirrors. She could have been hanging out in people's rooms when they were gone. Anyway, this was insane, and I'm taking a little time off. This didn't happen to me, it happened to my dad when he was 17 in 1982. He ran away from home because he was in some kind of trouble. He never told me exactly what he had done, but I knew he had a pretty crazy youth. To escape getting in trouble, 
He went to London and stayed in a bar near the train station for a few hours trying to figure out what to do next. Very quickly, he was approached by a man who sat next to him and kept buying him drinks. The man was kind, charming, and really seemed to empathize with my dad. He offered to let my dad stay with him for a few days free of charge. My dad said he really considered it, actually thinking he might go there and steal from the man, but changed his mind last minute because the man had been so kind to him, and he went back home. About a year later, he had met my mother, and they were watching the news when the same man popped up on the TV having been arrested. He then learned that the man was Dennis Nilsson, and was the same man he had been talking to for hours in the pub in London. Apparently, when Nilsson appeared on the TV, my dad turned ghostly white and started immediately shaking. Although it's not my experience, I'm always extremely careful and wary of people I don't know. Dennis Nilsson died in 2008, so luckily we'll never meet again. Dennis Andrew Nilsson was a Scottish serial killer and necrophile who murdered at least 12 young men in a series of killings committed between 1978 and 1983 in London, England. According to Wikipedia, convicted at the Old Bailey of six counts of murder and two attempted murder, Nilsson was sentenced to life imprisonment on November 4, 1983, with a recommendation that he serve a minimum of 25 years. In his later years, he was incarcerated at Full Sutton Maximum Security Prison. Nilsson committed the murders at two North London addresses. He lured his victims there and murdered them by strangulation, sometimes accompanied by drowning. Following the murders, Nilsson observed a ritual in which he bathed and dressed the victims' bodies, which he retained for extended periods of time before dissecting and disposing of the remains by burning on a bonfire or flushing down the lavatory. Nilsson died in prison on May 12th of 2018. In 2017, I got a laptop for Christmas. Definitely nice, but not what I needed it for. It couldn't run games for shit. I let it go till about May of 2018 until I had had enough and put it up for sale on Facebook Marketplace, hoping to take the money and put it towards a new desktop. Of course, you'll get the occasional bot, and I did. But then I got a real person. A man who lived about 45 minutes away messaged me and asked if it was still available. I answered in a heartbeat, and he asked the specs and when a good time to meet was. I informed him and said the next day at the local McDonald's at 1 p.m. He agreed, and we went from there. He said he drove a gray van. Weird, I know, but I just went with it. Maybe it was a hand-me-down car. To be quite honest, I just needed the money. I walked inside the McDonald's and he flagged me down. I wasn't hard to recognize, I was carrying a laptop. We sat down at a table and I handed him the laptop. He began searching around, going on websites. 
So, $200, right? He asked as he stared at the screen. Yes. By that time, I was there for about 15 minutes and my patience was dying quickly. He informed me he was a school teacher at a school where he lives and that he needed the laptop for music. It was weird as it was 2018 and most people use Spotify or Apple Music, but I had no issue with that. But he then took a flash drive and plugged it in and started going through it. I couldn't see what he was doing though as I was on the other side of the table. Then he looks at me and goes, so what do you want me to do? And I just said it was up to him. He closed the laptop and said, yeah, I don't think it's what I was looking for, and walked out the door. It was weird, to say the least. But I grabbed some lunch from the McDonald's and proceeded home. Curiosity filled me, so I decided to go to the school's website that he told me he teaches at and search his name. Nothing. Not a lick of his name. Things were starting to get weirder by the second. What the hell was on that flash drive? Soon after, I cleaned my laptop with an antivirus and it informed me it found a tracking file. This fucker put a tracking file on my laptop. I cleaned the laptop and was extra cautious for the next few days. Paranoia filled me. Why the hell would he put a tracking file on my laptop? I called ADT and scheduled a setup the next morning for a security system. That night, I slept with a handgun on my nightstand and all of the doors locked. Call me paranoid, but the man was downright creepy, and I didn't know what he was capable of. It's been six months since, but it still keeps me up at night. I've been getting asked a lot about why I didn't call the police, and to be quite honest, as stupid as it sounds, I didn't think there was anything that they could do. So creepy computer dude, let's not meet. I used to live in a townhouse, a duplex by myself, with my dog and two cats near a train station. There were often commuters who parked outside my place and passed by through the day and night. Occasionally, I had cigarettes or stuff stolen from the front veranda. I even had my next-door neighbor's ex-boyfriend come to my door telling me he had a hitman after him and he had a gun. But none of this scared me like the night I was watched. My dog lives indoors and I would take him out for a last wee before bed. My backyard light was broken and was up too high to change the bulb so I always took him out the front. That night, it was around 11pm and I took him out to the front. It was a hot summer night and I was mindlessly standing on the footpath when I saw a movement across the road from me. Out of nowhere, a man had appeared and was walking diagonally across the street away from me. I thought it was odd because I hadn't seen him come from the other direction. I continued to think about it. Where he came from was from outside a house that was being renovated. 
I knew the owners weren't living there and thought maybe he was going to try and steal stuff. So I kept looking down the road to where he had gone. He had turned the corner down the next street. I kept watching, and then I suddenly see his head pop around the corner to see if I'm still outside. This gives me the absolute creeps, so I grab my dog and go outside. I turn off all my lights and go upstairs to my bedroom, which is at the front of the townhouse and faces the street. I thought I would keep watch of my neighbor's house and call the police if he came back. I peer through my blinds, which cover sliding doors coming off a small balcony. And like clockwork, I see a dark figure walk from the corner and down my street. He's moving towards the house across the road, and then I suddenly lose sight of him. A tree in front of my townhouse obscures my view for a moment. And then, he's there. But he's not just there, he, he stopped at the top of my driveway, standing there. Like fucking Jason Voorhees. I kid you not, his arms were out by his sides and legs apart in an unnatural stance, like he was preparing for something. Like he wanted to come kill me. My heart is racing so hard I can barely hear, and I'm standing there slack-jawed, looking at this would-be assailant when one of the cats comes to see what's happening. My cat slides his body between the blinds and window, further opening it, and I see this person, this man, looking up towards me. I'm thinking, surely he sees me. If he does, this doesn't stop him. He starts walking down my driveway, undeterred, and fixated. I lose sight of him under the balcony and the awning. By this time, my eyes are watering in fear and tears are streaming down my face. I don't know what to do. I go sit on my bed. I pick up my mobile and dial my dad, who lives a suburb away. He answers. I whisper to him what was happening and he said he would be here as soon as he could. I lie down in my bed and stay as still as I can. Tears rolling down my cheeks. Pure fear. Not knowing what this man was doing downstairs, and if he could get in. What if I hadn't locked the doors? And, and then it dawned on me. Why, why am I lying here in the dark crying? Turn a light on. So I did. What seemed like a lifetime, but was probably a couple of minutes later, my dad arrived. He had an umbrella with him. I live in Australia, so no guns, but he could have at least brought a knife. I stayed on the phone with my dad while he searched outside for the man. The man was gone. Maybe turning on the light scared him off. I called the police who said I should have called them sooner. Of course I should have, but I don't know why I didn't. They came out with the sniffer dog and didn't find him either. I don't know what he wanted... But for a good year after that, I was so scared of living there. I'm still a scaredy cat, but reading other stories makes me realize I'm not alone, and we can all learn from these experiences. So we, I, know what to do if something scary happens. I used the app Let Go for some time and found it useful, better than Facebook Marketplace, and more reliable buyers. 
one mistake I believe I made was having my real name and picture on my profile. At the time, I had a very cheap Android phone that I strictly used for texting and calling. As times were tough and it was difficult making my phone bill payments. Because of this, the app was on a separate device, a tablet, that I commonly forgot to check. I logged into my device a day after deciding to sell my old Nintendo Wii. On there was a group of messages from a man getting increasingly more aggressive by the minute. As I hadn't responded the previous day, he had thought I was ignoring him. Messages threatening to either assault me or get me assaulted by one of his female friends. Messages telling me how I was a stupid cunt and to watch my back from now on. Seemed a bit like overkill as it was just one day and an old, cheap Nintendo Wii. It was one day before I responded, but the messages were a bit too much. Even by the time I saw his messages, he had given me a review saying, I was a racist bitch against Mexicans. I blocked the user and kept my item up for sale. What was confusing to me was why he called me a racist and that he wasn't Hispanic at all. I could be wrong, but he had a profile picture which appeared to be a white male. He also had his real name, which appeared to be one of a white male's. He had also sent me his address in the previous messages before I had a chance to respond, so I used this information to look up the individual on Facebook. Sure enough, there he is, a young white male, just a town over. Within the same day, another man had messaged me, asking to purchase the Wii, this time asking for my address and offering his address in case I was able to deliver. Completely different name, no picture, but the exact same address as the previous individual. Again, I immediately blocked them. He attempted two more times after that, once requesting the size of my jeans I had up for sale, explaining that he needed to know for when he'd come in them. After this, I deleted the app and haven't used it since. I still think about what would have happened if I were able to respond immediately. I didn't have a license and would allow others to pick up items straight from my home. So creepy guy on let go whose intentions I'm still unsettled about, let's not meet. Last night, my friend Beth and I went out to get dinner at a restaurant in a nice area, and when we had finished up, it was about 10 p.m. When we got outside, we sprinted to her car because it was parked kind of far from the restaurant, and we were cold. The parking lot is mostly empty at this point, but there was a light-colored SUV with dark-tinted windows parked two or three spots down from Beth's driver's side door. The SUV was parked there when we got there earlier as well. So we are running full speed at the car, racing each other for shits and giggles. Then we hop into the car as soon as possible because of how cold it is. As soon as we get into her car, this SUV whips backwards and puts itself behind us so that it would be difficult for us to back out. 
Mind you, no one else is around because everything in the complex is now closed or closing. They're now flashing their high beams and making a weird whistling noise. I have no clue what it was, but it, it wasn't like a human whistling. It sounded like a pre-recorded noise. This may be irrelevant, but it was something that got our attention. Beth and I immediately thought, are they blocking us in? What the fuck? The way the SUV was angled, they were able to see into the driver's side area still. So Beth somehow maneuvers us out at the speed of light, and we are both on alert at that moment. As she's backing out, whoever is in the SUV is apparently filming us with the flash on. It doesn't sound like much, but that was very unsettling because we couldn't see into the SUV because of the super-tinted windshield and windows. Anyway, Beth floors it away from them and makes a couple of weird turns to see if they're following. And they are, quite obviously following us. We got to a stop sign, still in the parking lot of the shopping complex, and some pedestrians looked at us like a deer in headlights because we were coming up so fast at the stop sign. While we had to stop for them, this SUV pulls up beside us, on the wrong side of the road, doesn't roll down the windows or anything, which somehow made it even scarier because we didn't know what this person wanted from us. Beth floors it again out of the complex and drives erratically to try and shake them, but they are still on us. We get onto the main road, and finally we whip last second onto 101 South, and this creepy freak almost crashed into a road sign just to follow us. Luckily, Beth drove like James Bond himself. In other words, she cut off an 18-wheeler as soon as it got onto the highway and then weaved like a madwoman through lights of traffic and swerved off an exit and lost them. But they were still trying to keep up while on 101. It may not sound scary because nothing happened after this, but the apparent filming and the fact that they clearly wanted to scare us and wanted to see us, but we couldn't see them, made it feel like a horror movie. Never have I ever had a gut instinct so strong that something sinister would be imminent if we were stopped by the SUV. So to the creep who wanted to do whatever to us, let's not meet. I met a guy online, talked for a day or two, but I was at the tail end of my degree and things were getting to be a lot, so I decided no dating until I was done. I let the handful of guys that seemed to be nice know before deleting the dating app, so they would know why I deleted it. It wouldn't think I ghosted them. He happened to be online when I sent it and said I seemed cool. Can we keep in touch? Sure, no worries. So I add him on Facebook. Maybe once a week, he's like, hey, how are you? What are you up to? Normal conversation stuff. I chat about university, work, gym, whatever. After maybe two to three months, he says, hey, we've been chatting for a bit. Let's grab coffee. I say, yeah, sure. He seems nice enough. I reiterate that it would be as friends, and that was fine with him. 
I was about to head into exams, so we made plans in about three weeks' time after I finished those. He started messaging me more and more regularly after making plans, more than once a day, and starts calling it a date, which people call catching up a coffee date without meaning an actual date, but I wanted to make sure we were still on the same page, so I said, hey, you keep calling it a date, I just want to make sure we're clear. It's just catching up as friends. He snapped. He started sending me all sorts of horrible things on Facebook, so I blocked him. I gave him my number when we made plans, though, so he started calling and calling and leaving voicemails. It was late, so I put my phone on silent and went to sleep. The next morning, I wake up to 37 missed calls and voicemails between 10 p.m., continuing until about 4 a.m., as well as a multitude of horrible texts. Now, this was seven years ago, when you couldn't just block someone on a phone. At first, I thought if I just ignore him, he would get bored. After about a week, he wasn't slowing down with dozens of calls a day. I called my phone company to have him blocked, and they said, you can only block three people, are you sure? I had to jump through all kinds of hoops, and then they turn around and say that they can't do it. I have to call the police. So I call the police, and they say I have to call the phone company, but I, I can make a statement of harassment in case he does something more. Well, three weeks later, he's still going strong, but his texts start saying he's going to force me to go on a date with him. I won't have a choice. Blah, blah, blah. Then he starts saying that if I won't come to him, he's going to come to me and is telling me my schedule with where I will be at any given time, which he put together based on our weekly conversations about normal stuff, threatening to come to where I will be. I have to stop doing my regular activities and pretty much become a hermit. He ended up making a threat to my life. I can't remember what he said word for word, but it was essentially, girls like you get what they deserve. There's something like that. But more clearly threatening. He would be the one to make it happen. I contacted the police again, and that was enough for a VRO, and I never heard from him again. I was about 20, but his pictures looked younger. I didn't realize it online, but turned out this guy was 34. So this wasn't some dumb young kid behavior. This was a grown-ass man. I've had many other psychos since this guy, but I'm very grateful phones have since allowed you to block anyone, anytime. Thank you for listening to Season 1, Episode 1 of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. This week you have heard, Florida woman crawled out of my hotel mirror to rob me by Reddit user tbug411, meeting a serial killer by Reddit user Reddit and writing, a man wanted to buy my laptop by Reddit user smileyattack, the creep that wanted to purchase my Wii on Let Go by Def Not Tom Hanks, Stay Sexy in Florida by Reddit user Keckles, and Guy stalks me for rejecting him without even making it to a single date by Aussie Bell. 
As promised, I'm here to answer a couple of questions I've received in my absence. Number one, why did I end the show so abruptly? Well, I started Let's Not Meet in 2017 because I was unable to find a podcast that would feature these stories from the subreddit exclusively. I would hear them pop up in other shows that mixed in stories of horror fiction or true crime. I really just wanted to share these stories because I found that they were the most terrifying. After a year, I, things picked up quite a bit. I was promoted to a new position at my day job that was getting progressively more stressful, and between work, trying to live a normal life at home with my wife, and continuing to write and create music, the podcast was too much to hold down. It wore me out, it zapped my energy, and held me back from doing a lot of other creative things and pursuing those creative outlets. I had some very severe health issues, and I won't bore you with the nasty details, but something had to go at that moment in time. I needed to take care of myself and I needed to get better mentally and physically, so I laid the podcast to rest. Now, number two, what happened to the old episodes and where can I get them? There's been some negative opinions out there on iTunes reviews and Reddit posts about what those individuals seem to think happened or how I was trying to divert my podcast following to the new show titled All Deadly Things, an original horror fiction podcast, which I'll address in my next question. I went on to unpublish the previous episodes of Let's Not Meet from the RSS feed with the intention of putting them online to download for listeners that didn't get a chance to finish them while switching over the old RSS feed to the new show, which I did so that listeners that wanted to stick around would be able to get the new show and access it on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast apps that can be a challenge to get your show on. Otherwise, they would have no other way to listen to it besides downloading it on the website. In the process, I deleted them from the feed rather than unpublishing them. The Let's Not Meet stories, that is. Having realized my mistake, I immediately set out to find anyone that had these old episodes because I lost them when my hard drive crashed about midway through the life of the show. Luckily, we were able to recover them, and they are now safely stored on my Google Drive, which I've made public, pinned to my Twitter account. And if you're interested in getting those episodes, you can find them uh, on the link that's pinned to my Twitter handle, Let's Not Meet Cast. I even tried to upload them to new, uh, a new RSS feed so that they could be streamed for podcast listeners, but because of a lack of bandwidth and funds, I wasn't able to get this completed because this would have caused a process to take months to rebuild. These wonderful individuals that found it in their hearts to speak out publicly about the mishap took it upon themselves to put forth the idea that this quote mirrors what Mr. Tate would narrate to us on Let's Not Meet. I get the unsettled feeling he didn't want fans to have access to the back episodes and like a character from one of his shows, it shows odd behavior. Others went on to say things like, all traces of Let's Not Meet have been wiped away as if it never existed, but he conveniently gets to keep the following he built for him. I've never seen a podcaster do anything so obliviously rude, and I hope I don't ever see this kind of thing again. Some others went on to say that this was part of some, quote, shady swindle to bait and switch my listeners. And all I have to say to you is, yeah, I spent a year, no, over a year of my life cranking out weekly episodes of a horror podcast simply to get listeners for my new show. It was all part of some long, painstaking con. While these statements are inaccurate and have me dumbfounded, 
as I did everything in my power to get the episodes back up, and they are. I apologize to those that reached out to me with questions and concern, those real fans that showed me how much they cared about me in the show. And that's why I'm back. I've received an enormous amount of emails and DMs from listeners showing empathy for my mental health and expressing to me their feelings about the show. Some went on to say that it helped them deal with their own past experiences and abuse. Some say it was the scariest podcast they had ever listened to and that it affected them in a sincere way. After all, these are true horror stories that really connected the writers, myself, and others. While it is a horror podcast, it's also a symbol for those who have gone through similar events, as well as a learning experience for others. Let's Not Meet is truly a cautionary podcast with the best of intentions to scare and entertain, but also to educate you on the evil that's out there. After a much needed mental recoup, I realized after reading all of the responses that this show was important to me and many others on a level that I wasn't aware of at the time. So with that, I'm happy to announce that Let's Not Meet is back and it's here to stay. And finally, number three, what about All Deadly Things? All Deadly Things is an endeavor I wanted to pursue for a long time. However, the process of writing original horror stories is a long one. I wasn't able to do it during Let's Not Meet. Even a 40-minute story will sometimes take a month or two just to finish and produce. With that said, I'll be continuing to write and record these new stories until I feel I have enough material to relaunch and release the episodes on a regular schedule. So stay tuned for that. And you can follow me again on Twitter. My handle is at Let's Not Meet Cast. And you can check out the Facebook group or email me your own stories to Let's Not Meet Podcast at gmail.com or simply follow the links on the website, Let's Not Meet Podcast.com. I'll leave you with one last word of appreciation to those that helped me out in one of the hardest periods of my life, and to those that have nothing but trash to say to me about the whole ordeal. I'm not going to let you bring me down and let's not meet is back and it's here to stay. So, with that said, I'll see you next week for a brand new episode of Let's Not Meet.